0: sleep deprived, you're hungry, you miss your family, you've cried, you've never felt stressed like it before in your life. And Australia meets you when you're at literally your worst. Welcome to
1: Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors, January Jones and Rose Donohue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less traveled. Hello, January. Hi, Rose. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I miss you. How are you?
1: Yeah, I miss you too. How is your grown-up gap year
2: going? (sighs) We're calling it that, aren't we? That's going to catch on. (laughs) That's okay. Um, (laughs) The grown-up gap year is good. It's actually coming up to six months, so I'm almost halfway through my grown-up gap year if it's only going to be one year.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe if I keep saying that, it will only be one year and then you'll come back.
2: Maybe it can be my grown-up decade and I can just (laughs) run away for until 2030. How would you feel about that?
1: <laughs> That's a bit sad for all of us back home. I'm not sure your parents will like that.
2: <laughs> well, I don't want to make you cry. So maybe I'll come back a bit sooner. <laughs> I do have a question for you, JJ. Yep. Have you ever had a vlog? A vlog? So a video blog.
1: Gotta sound like a bit of a grandma saying that, don't I?
2: <laughs> you sound like a grandma or like someone in the nineties. Not that there's anything
1: wrong with grandmas. So I love mine. Um... <laughs> No, I haven't. No, I I have not. Have you?
2: God, no. No, definitely not. Have you ever had a blog, just like a written blog? No, but you know what? I've had blog aspirations.
1: So I've I've wanted to, but I never did.
2: You've shown interest in the blogging world.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've shown it. You know, I think there was that time when there were all those blogs that went viral and people got books out of it. And I thought, oh, that'd be pretty nice. But I don't know. You have to share
2: a lot about yourself, don't you? I think so. I mean, I guess like the modern day version of a vlog is Instagram, right?
1: I guess so, yeah. I mean, some people do use it as a kind of a blogging tool, like they write big captions and things like that.
2: Yeah, it's a way, it's a way to get your face out there. I mean, where I'm going with this, in case you're wondering, is today we're going to be talking about living on reality TV. And I cannot, for the life of me, understand why anyone would want to do that. And I was wondering if maybe you could.
1: Well, I mean, there's often big prize money attached to something like that. So I can, you can see why people would be enticed and people go on to have really successful careers afterwards too.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, to be honest, I don't think most of them are in it just for the money. Do you? I feel like most of them are in it for maybe like a certain type of fame or, for example, with people who are on the block, I think they're probably interested because they're you know, previously have decorated a house or they're interested in, in renovating. But surely you don't go into it just for the money because the odds seem so low.
1: Well, I mean, they're a lot higher than um, the lottery or something like that. Uh, Rose, would you ever go on a reality TV show? And if so, what one would
2: you go on? I just, I don't think I would. You couldn't do <laughs> I really it. don't think I would. I don't think I would. I think... No, you have to pick one. Uh, you have to pick something. Okay, if I had to pick one, maybe... Maybe, like, Survivor. Wow, that's the most you know? brutal of all of them. I know. Well, if I'm going to do it. <laughs> You're like going you go just hard. Really, You really want to test yourself, don't yeah. you think? Yes. Come back super fit. Oh, actually, they don't really look fit at the end, do they? They're, They're all sort of emaciated yeah. and nearly dead. <laughs> <laughs> What about you? Would you ever go on The Bachelorette or The Bachelor? (laughs) Well, probably not The Bachelor. You know what?
1: I shouldn't really be saying this because now that I say it, it'll never happen. But I've always wanted to go on something like The Bachelor as a mole, like as a plant, just to find out how it all works, you know, and report back. I always thought that would be really interesting, but you probably sign NDAs and all kinds of things. And now saying this, um, they're never going to pick me, are they?
2: No, now everyone's going to know. Now everyone's going to know. you saying the word mole reminded me of my favourite reality show yeah. from the 90s in Australia, The Mole. Do yes. you remember The Mole?
1: Yeah, I do remember The Mole. I was a big fan of it.
2: That was a classic. I loved The Mole. Okay, bring back The Mole.
1: Yeah. that. Yeah, actually, we should start a campaign for that because that was a really good show. And also, <laughs> I, don't, I also think the other reason I probably wouldn't get picked for, to go on The Bachelor is I'm also married, so that probably like, although there was someone that was married in the last season. He was separated but still, still married.
2: <laughs> well, there's hope for you yet. Let's take a little trip around the world when it comes to reality TV. We've done a bit of research of the the, the weirdest and wackiest reality shows we could find or remember. Do you remember reading about the Japanese show called Nasubi where they tricked a guy into spending over a year living naked in a room? Did you hear about that? I think I did. God, that sounds just awful. It's the most horrendous story. They completely, they tricked him. They didn't tell him that it was going to be broadcast, which it was. It was broadcast live every night for a year. He was nude. He was forced to enter competitions via mail, via snail mail, all day, and was only allowed to live off what he won through those competitions. It's the most random premise ever. That's like public torture basically and then I remember reading up that he sort of he started to sort of lose his mind and have hallucinations and he was sick like he wasn't eating enough food and he was always naked because he never won any clothes um and then when they revealed at the end what had been happening he sort of forgave the producers right away he wasn't even that upset
1: oh what a nice guy I don't think I could do the (laughs) same
2: could you the poor guy no I'd go crazy
1: yeah, that's awful. Well, one of the ones I thought was kind of one of the weirdest and funniest was a show called I Want to Marry Harry, which featured a red-headed man who kind of looked like Prince Harry and the show tricked American girls into dating him.
2: I actually remember that show. I don't know if I watched any episodes, but it was completely ridiculous. So, completely ridiculous. So
1: they went on this show thinking they were going to marry Prince Harry on a reality show.
2: I think, yeah, I think it was just like these American women who didn't quite know who Prince Harry was but maybe knew that he had red hair and that he was a prince and they were sort of willing to, to accept that this guy was probably him. I hope the guy at least had a British accent.
1: Yeah, it was a, just a he'll do situation. But, look, he went on to marry an American, so...
2: I don't know, what is that? Oh, good for him. Yeah. The other one that is, you know, we're probably more used to, but is still pretty weird and wacky when you think about it, Keeping Up With The Kardashians is now up to season 17. That's crazy. That's mind-boggling. Making it one of the US's longest-running TV shows in history.
1: Are you a Keeping Up With The Kardashians fan, Rose? Look, I wouldn't say I'm a fan,
2: but I've definitely watched it over the years. I can't lie. Are you?
1: It's pretty engaging. No, look, I have never watched a season, but say if I'm on a flight and there's a couple of episodes, I'm on an hour flight and there's episodes there, I'll chuck on the the odd episode. And it is pretty engaging for all the flack that it does get. It does suck you in.
2: No, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's a a reason why it's been so popular and they definitely, they they know what people want and they know how to sort of craft those storylines, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Chris Jenner, you know, the devil works hard, but Chris Jenner works harder. Isn't that what they say?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what they should say.
1: (laughs) Now, we took to the streets to find out if you would ever be on a reality TV show. Oh, I think I'd love being filmed 24-7. I think that's, uh, that's what I'm missing in my life right now. No, I wouldn't. I think I would be very boring to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes.
2: I would definitely go for a reality TV show.
1: Oh,
3: being filmed 24-7, no problem at
2: all. In fact, I have applied to a reality TV show. Two, actually. I've applied for Big Brother when that was on and uh, Australian Idol.
1: I couldn't be filmed for an hour a day, let alone 24 hours a day. I would hate being filmed all day, every day. Today we're talking to the winners of the 2019 season of The Block, Tess and Luke. Tess and Luke took on the mammoth task of renovating a three-storey home over 14 weeks in what was the biggest block yet. They battled sleepless nights, tough critiques and budget woes, but made it out the other end with a life-changing amount of prize money. Tess and Luke, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to be here. Yeah, I'm really thanks excited. thanks very much
4: for having us, guys.
1: No problem. Now, talk us through what was it like going on the block?
4: Yeah, look, it was absolutely insane. This is Tess and I's uh, fourth time of applying before we actually made it on. And um, yeah, look, I think we were just extremely grateful to get the opportunity and we had no idea what awaited us.
0: It was quite daunting, actually. I mean, doing the block is something that is really hard to explain. I mean, seeing it on TV is one thing, but actually experiencing it is, you know, another. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know how we got through it. We look back at it and we laugh a lot. We just go, I don't know how on earth we did that. But, you know, it was just this thing that we'll always remember for the rest of our lives.
1: Yeah, I bet. It would have been an incredible experience. So, what was it, What was the application process like? So you said you, you applied four times. What do you think that it was that finally got you there in the end?
0: Yes, yeah, so we did apply four, four times. Um, you know, the three times prior to that, you know, we never got a, a phone call or an interview or anything. We didn't get to any stage at all. Um, and on the fourth time when we did our video, it was very last minute. Um, Luke wasn't even really keen on doing it because he said, well, we don't even get a look in. So why bother? Um, and I just said, come on, you know, I know we're getting married, but who cares? Let's just do it. And I think what it was is we were very much so ourselves, um, when we did our video, tape for it. Um there was no music, there was no slideshows. I honestly put no effort into it whatsoever, but we we were 100% ourselves. We weren't pretending to be anyone else. We weren't trying to make anyone laugh. And you know, you can't do a audition tape and say we've got lots of banter. You've got to prove that you do. You have to show them in about 4 minutes who you are. And I feel like we just really got that across and I don't know how we did it, but we just did it and they fell in love with who we are, not who we were trying to be.
1: And what was it like getting that call when you finally found out that you'd made it? What was that moment like?
4: Um, Well, I was actually working away and then Tess rang me up and she said, "Um, look, you might want to sit down for this. And I thought, oh, God, who's died? And she said, "Uh, yeah, actually we've uh, been asked to come down to Brisbane and interviewed to be on the block and I could not believe it. I think I said every four-letter word under the sun.
0: Yeah, it was it was really quite surreal to get that phone call and then, you know, we actually flew ourselves to Brisbane, um, we decided to do that, we didn't want to do it over Skype, we thought they had to meet us face to face and, you know, what's a couple of hundred dollars in flights if it could end up being life changing um, and then, you know, after that we went through to the second round where they called us up and they flew us to Melbourne where we did a challenge. And then, yeah, we got the phone call in the new year that we'd got it and that was probably the most life-changing phone call we've ever had in our lives and we just knew that, you know, something big was about to happen and we weren't too sure what it was going to be and how it was going to go down, but we were ready.
2: And guys you say that you absolutely have to be yourself on that um introductory video. Once the cameras start rolling on the show, do you just think it's impossible for people to be anything else just because they've got so much footage of you? Do you think the the real you ends up coming through?
4: It's definitely a hard place to hide who you really are. Editing and that plays a lot as well, but your personality, you know, that's all you've got at the end of the day and that that will shine through. So mm. it's it's far too hard You're you're that tired that you really can't put up an act to try and be someone else for 14 weeks. It's just, you know, it's impossible. It's hard enough to be yourself.
0: And, And that's another thing. Australia gets to know you. Literally at your worst possible version of yourself. You know, you are sleep deprived. You're hungry. You miss your family. You've cried. You've never felt stressed like it before in your life. You have no privacy. You know, um, it's really full on. And Australia meets you when you're at literally your worst. And that's quite confronting and it's quite terrifying and not everyone's going to love you but yeah you can't pretend to be someone else because you'll get caught out.
1: Yeah definitely. Now can you take us back to that first day of filming so when you turned up was that going to see the Oslo for the first time?
4: Yeah we got wind that a few people had uh, gone for a walk past but Tess and I were staying pretty close into the city of Melbourne and yeah, that was my first time being in Melbourne, so I had no idea how close or far away we were. So we decided not to go and see it until uh, till the filming started and then, yeah, when we pulled up that first day, we just said, holy shit, look at the size of this thing.
1: I bet. It's, it was such a mammoth task. I mean, they do say every year it's the biggest block yet, but that really was the biggest block, I think.
0: Yeah, it really was the biggest block and, I mean, even the executive producer of the show has come out and he has said, This was too big. Um, We will never do it big enough, like as big as this one was. And it did very quickly become not a show about renovations but a show about human endurance. And I think um, that's just a testament to the other teams that were on the show with us this year that it wasn't just about renovating, it was about how far you can push, you know, not only the human body but the human spirit. And, you know, we got to many stages where all of us just went, we can't finish this. This is ridiculous. Like this is just too big. There's not enough time. There's not enough money, but we all did it at the end of the day. And I think that just is a huge testament to you know everyone and, and who they are.
2: And guys, did you think it was harder on you mentally or physically?
0: For me, it was mentally. I actually quite enjoyed the physical side of it. Um, we really enjoy, enjoyed the uh, demolition and we we love it. We I mean we've been doing it back home before the show started, and and Luke does that for a job. So yeah, physically it's exhausting, but to me it was more mentally.
4: I honestly think that they they were both as taxing on yourself as each other. Um, you know, the demo and stuff is good to get in and, and rip it down, but. You know, you cannot muck around. You basically have to run up and down three flights of scaffold stairs about 148 times before, you know, the rubble's cleared. And that, that's just one person. You've got about 10 people doing that. So the physical side of things, the the mental game of, you know, are we going to finish this room this week? I think especially for Tess and I being the only team to not finish either of our week one rooms, um, you know, that definitely weighed down on us. And, um, um, yeah, so... I don't know. I went around the bush a bit there, sorry. But, yeah, I think I think mentally and physically that they were both as hard.
2: It feels like the reason that you have couples on this show is to watch the couple's, you know, relationships not break down but go through a lot of stress. Did that sort of get to you at times, knowing that that was maybe what the producers were going for?
0: You know, I, I think for me, again, personally, the audience so Australia they need to be able to relate to the couples so you're gonna have you need some couples on there that different age groups can relate to um or different you know people who are going through certain things as those couples can relate to the the audience needs to form a relationship with each contestant and you know what it's I think anyone out there is lying if they haven't said that they have ever seriously not wanted to knock their husbands out. Not physically done it, but said that to their husbands. Like, we, you are in the most stressful situation ever. I do not know one person that would sit there smiling, kissing each other, going, oh, it's okay. It is a pressure cooker, people. Like, it is just not a normal environment and you're going to arc up. You're going to have fights. You're going to have fights not only with yourself but, you know, with other contestants. I mean, that's just the real world. The real world isn't easy. It, it's a hard thing to do.
1: Yeah, and look, everyone fights in their relationship, don't they? Like it, just that's just a normal part of. I think if you're not fighting or arguing at all, then that's even weirder, isn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> but
0: yeah. I think if you if you're saying that you you and your partner don't fight, you're lying to yourself. You know, I think you need to just get over yourself and understand that everyone fights, and no one really judges each other for it when they're honest. Everyone argues. It's just how the world works. <laughs>
1: That's no, it's very true. Now, so when did the camp, so just on the practicalities of it, so you'd wake up in the morning, were there camera crews there as soon as you woke up?
4: Uh, yeah, so the camera crew and sound guys would start arriving at about 5.30 in the morning and then filming started at 6am sharp and usually finished up around 11pm. Um, whether you got out of bed or not is entirely up to you. They're not They're not there to force you up out of bed or anything, but you have that much work to do that, um, yeah, 90% of the time you're always up before the cameras were anyway.
1: Wow, so you get no time to yourself really, like no time to kind of have a moment.
0: Um, there is no time to really have a <laughs> You, you, you wake up at, yeah, so five six o'clock and you might quickly say a few things to each other that you want to say before you get mic'd up, you know, because everyone needs to have a private conversation with their partner every once in a while, whether it's block related or not. Um, and then you're mic'd up all day. Um, you know, the work site shuts at, I guess, was it five? five o'clock, so no noise, after five, so that's when all the tradies would go home generally. Um, And then we would all sit down with a producer at the end of each day and do our interviews, so that's where you'd see us sitting and talking about our days. Um, And then... Generally, the camera crew would go home by about 7.30, but then you'd have the night crew on. So that means you'd have someone walking around with a handheld um, and they'd be filming you through till maybe 11 o'clock at night, but sometimes it'd be till 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. You'd go to sleep for an hour or two and then you'd wake up and start all over again. So if you ever needed a private conversation, this is a bit cheeky, but you would unplug without them knowing and you'd quickly say what you need to say and then you'd plug it back in and by the time they ran to you because they realize that you're not in sync anymore with everyone. You'd go, oh, sorry, I didn't realise. Or you'd go down to the shops and quickly unplug and have a quick chat to each other. Just if you needed to honestly say something private that, you know, they don't care about but you just wanted to have alone time, you know, because that's also good for your mental health. That is very clever. That's a
1: good trick. I like it. Could you ever uh, disappear to the bathroom? Like what what rooms and areas were off limits?
4: Absolutely none of them. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as a safe zone or, oh, you know what, this is their bedroom, guys, we better not go in. They would hear you on your mic having a fight in your room and you forget that you mic'd up pretty quickly and then you could almost hear the camera crews running for your bedroom to come and film, film you guys having that Yeah,
0: and I won't say their names um, because it's their story, not mine, but two of the contestants we were with, I know one of them, she was having a really hard time, so she pretended to have a shower, so she would take her mic off and she would have a shower and she'd just have that minute to herself where she could just breathe without anyone listening to her anyone watching her, which was pretty smart, and then another one I know, she was going to have a cry and she didn't want to cry on camera, so she actually... Demiked and she hid in the cupboard, and no one could find her. And she could hear them coming and going. Where is she? So you would try these little tricky things, but you know they're smarter than you. They've done it
2: before, so they will find you. <laughs>
4: that person hiding in the cupboard crying was actually Jesse from House Five. No,
2: it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, was there ever a moment when you thought, like, what have we done? This was a bad idea, and just wanted to leave? Was there sort of a breaking point? There are a few, I
0: think.
4: Yeah, I think um, definitely the first night that we got there and we were cleaning up rubbish, walking it down to the skip um, till about 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock maybe, uh, we realised that we had 14 more weeks of that in front of us and we just went, uh, okay, like we know it's going to be hard work but we'll just have to, you know, strap our, our boots and, and give it a good shot. But I think when the judge's feedback comes and, the judge's feedback's pretty negative and you start doubting your own capabilities and things like that. Sometimes you would you would just be like, you know, have we wasted someone else's opportunity of a lifetime? Like, did they take a gamble on us and that not pay off? That, I think that was a big thing with the mental game as well, you know, like knowing that you have the capabilities and you do deserve to be there. So I, I think, think that's what you had to keep reminding yourself to, to not just go home.
0: I think also, sorry if this is dragging out, but Um, I think also, you know, for us, well, you might've even seen it on the show. I can't remember what week it was. It was before hallway week, I remember, but everyone just went, well, if there's not enough money in it, why are we here? And you did kind of start to feel, are we here just to look like idiots? Are we here just to kind of you know, be embarrassed because there isn't enough money and we were looking like we weren't budgeting but I was going, but hang on, there's not enough money and we've won the least amount of rooms and they said to us, you won't finish this house if you don't win and we weren't winning. So it was just this vicious cycle and, you know, I think at one stage there I just lost it and I think it had a lot to do with not having, you know, the privacy that we were talking about, you know, the space Um I just had a little bit of a breakdown and I went, I want to go home. But I think saying that is very different to packing your bags. I think you say it, you actually, I say that out of a place of frustration and you're trying to get people to understand how serious you've been and you're trying to get it off your chest. But no one ever went and packed their bags and actually got out there because everyone was so grateful for the opportunity, you know, and it just came to a spot for Luke and I where we went, well, we'll just keep going till we can't, you know.
1: Well, I've got to say you guys did a phenomenal job and congratulations because that was just an
0: exceptional win and you must feel so proud of yourselves for that. Thank you very much. I think um, it's been, um, you know, a little while now. It's been about five or so weeks since auction day and everything slowed down a little bit and I think we've finally hit our feet on the ground and we've realised what has just happened and I think we just go we've just won the biggest block ever and we've just sold our house for the most ever in history of the block. Like, can you believe it? You know? And I think that really just is quite a huge thing to try and take in for a couple of Cairns kids, but you know, we're really proud of ourselves and yeah, proud of each other. Now I've got
1: one last question. What was it like watching yourselves back on TV? Was it one of those things where you hear your own voice and you kind of cringe? Did you watch the episodes? Did you not watch them? How did that all come about?
0: Well, for me, um, it was pretty hard. I think the first two weeks I, I didn't look gorgeous. I, um, because I, you know, got rid of builders and tradies and all sorts of stuff. I was a bit cutthroat and I, I didn't really like watching it because, you know, living it and getting over it is one thing. And then having to relive it through a different lens and listen to everybody's opinion of it. Is even harder um it's like being made to go through trauma like it's again like it's just it's not really natural so we didn't really watch it a lot then we'd watch it again and then we'd stop you know we um absolutely like everything you see has happened but of course it's a tv show so you've got to make storylines you know you've got characters to play and it, it was a bit tough sometimes seeing things go down and you'd go, hang on, there's Mr. Chunk there or hang on, that that didn't really happen exactly like that. But at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, the auction speaks for itself and we just have to continue to remember that and not worry too much about what everyone else thinks.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said before, congratulations on an incredible season and, yeah, just an absolutely phenomenal job. And your house selling in, you know, privately as well is really great too so well done for all of that and thank you so much for being on the podcast
0: oh thank you so much for inviting us guys
4: yeah thanks very much guys
3: hello my name is kayla i was on the bachelor in 2018 on the honey badges season In the mansion, we had about 25 girls living under one roof. It felt like school camp, you could say. We slept in bunk beds in three different rooms. We had three different bathrooms with only a shower, a basement and a bath. Really a bit of a struggle, you could say, uh, when the producers say in the morning, girls, you only got 20 minutes to get ready, come on. We all had to get ready in this one little bathroom. (laughs) It was definitely a great experience as well living with all these girls we made a lot of lifelong friends on there we didn't have technology besides the TV so we all played like game of cards or sometimes we even went outside and had like a sing along um, one of the girls had a guitar so we always used to have a bit of sing along with the guitar or we even used to hop in the pool at night time which was pretty cool they had alpacas as well we used to always play with which is good as well because a lot of the girls on the series were from the city so they didn't really get to have that farm life. We also had a gym there as well which was really good because it was hard when you're living with a bunch of different girls you haven't really lived with before. So just to get out and work out and do a bit of exercise, keep your mind off everything and what's going on. It was stressful sometimes because for everyone that was on my series, they chose for their personalities. 25 girls to start off with, so it was hard living with all big personalities, but you just had to learn to get along with each other. We were only allowed to have 10 to 15 minute call cool every fortnight with a family member. So it got hard um, for a lot of the girls because a lot of the girls still live with their families. So it was hard to not be able to tell them either what's happening and what's going on because it's a big secret. <laughs> I found it quite awkward because a lot of the things, you will go up and say to um, Nick, you go up and go, oh, hey, how are you going? And you're like, do you want to go for a walk? And you'll be like, okay. So you walk off holding hands and then the cameraman will be like, come back, come back, do it again. So it felt very unnatural. On my episode, I jumped in the pool with my cocktail dress and everything on and a lot of the people that watched it on TV, they thought, oh, how could you do that? How could you do that? Why would you do that? But they don't realise you have to take the, all the microphone off and everything because it's not actually real. <laughs> it was a little bit scripted. The producers did give me a few drinks and say, come on, why don't you do it? So I did. A lot of it, what you see is real, but they do edit some things to make it look like it didn't happen the way it is, that you portrayed the way you are. So say when I jumped in the pool... Nick come up afterwards and hugged me and said, oh, you're so brave for doing that. I wish I could have done that as well. But then when it showed on TV, they edited it so it looked like he was talking to a completely different person that happened a completely different night. Yeah, it just made it look like I was this girl looking for attention. <laughs> I did get a lot of trolling to start off with on social media all about it. So I had a lot of just random people messaging me, asking me, why did you do that? That's so stupid. Now you're going to get out. But now I look back at it and think, I remembered as that girl that jumped in the pool. That's the only reason why a lot of people do remember me. Filming for the cocktail parties starts about nine, ten o'clock at night, and it doesn't finish until about 5, 6 in the morning when the sun starts coming up. So when the sun does come up, that's when producers stop it and say, well, can't film anymore because it looks like it's daylight and then we have our row ceremony straight afterwards so all the girls have all this pressure on them and that everyone's tired and you know had enough and then they make us stand there for the row ceremony and that goes for about two hours usually standing up on our high heels that we sit up on all night and yeah a lot of girls do end up you know breaking down and crying and getting a bit emotional but I think it's all just tiredness and having a bit too much to drink <laughs> Um, being a bachelor did change me a lot. So I'm more outgoing now. I'm a lot more confident than I was. I don't doubt myself. I used to doubt myself all the time. I don't anymore. It changed my life because I met my current boyfriend I am with at the moment. Through the whole experience. We met at an event. He was actually off marriage at first sight. <laughs> oh.
2: Okay, JJ, so now our favourite segment of the week, certainly my favourite segment. I, I was hope about to say that. Segment. Yeah,
1: definitely your favourite. <laughs> I, I, I'm quite partial Pop to Pop culture
2: homework. <laughs> <laughs> Pop culture homework for this week, given that, as you know, we've been focusing on reality TV, I have chosen The Truman Show. The Truman Show is a 1998 American science fiction comedy drama film. That's a bit of a mouthful. Directed by Peter Weir, an Australian... Some good Australian homework for us. An insurance salesman discovers he, his entire life is actually a television show and that even members of his family are mere actors. He then attempts an escape from his dreary life. I love this movie. It do is a, you?
1: yeah, I do. It's a really good movie. I remember seeing it for the first time. And do you remember? So I saw it when it came out because I'm old and. That and it was a thing where everyone was like, "Oh, maybe I'm in the Truman Show. Maybe I'm in the Truman Show." And everyone, do you remember that? Everyone thinking that. Um, I
2: def, I've thought that since. I still have moments, like probably like a couple of times a year, where like it's not like I actually think that it's happening, but but Is that your the, ego the, talking the rose occurs to me. Yeah, I mean it probably does say something about how my brain works, doesn't it? That you think the whole. I mean, it's a very narcissistic concept, isn't it? Really, yeah. when you think about it. <laughs> um, but it was totally terrifying. I, I loved it. Um, also, interesting fact: it was inspired by an episode of The Twilight Zone called "Special Service," mm. um, which was actually meant to be set in New York City. So there you go.
1: Wow, There's I your I loved The Twilight Zone as a kid. That was one of my favorite shows. I used to go to the video store and rent the VHS copies of The Twilight Zone. So big fan. Old school. Yep. Uh, And my recommendation for you is Unreal, which is an American drama series about the behind the scenes chaos surrounding the production of a dating competition, not unlike The Bachelor. It stars Constance Zimmer and Shiri Appleby. The show also won a prestigious Peabody Award, which is an awards program that highlights stories that matter across media. So have you watched that show, Rose?
2: I've watched Unreal and it completely destroyed me. It was oh. it's a traumatic viewing. It's so good though. It's so good. You well you you read that synopsis and you think it's gonna be sort of easy viewing and it is completely it is so tough to watch, the things that those producers do to those girls on that show, which is essentially like it's The Bachelorette, right? Or it's The Bachelor.
1: It's The Bachelor, yeah. But they do do a season of um, with a female suitor, so they do do The Bachelorette. But, yeah, it is really tough going. It's very dark and just the manipulation involved is just horrific. But it is well, so die. clever. It's
2: insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just such clever writing, I think. Just, yeah, it's a really great show. Well, I guess it's time to say goodbye for another week, Rose. Oh, the saddest moment. Well, you enjoy Amsterdam. Thanks, JJ. You enjoy Melbourne. All right. Bye, Rose. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donohue and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon. Somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insurer. Powered by property experts, Domain Insurer is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au forward slash insurance forward slash podcast. Domain Insurer AFSL five zero two zero double eight for the insurer Zurich Australian Insurance LTD AFSL 232504.